wonderful thing to do. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're new here today, we've been in a series of going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and how we've been approaching it is that this is a church that gives is an example for us of living in a world, frankly, that's antagonistic to the gospel. And, and I think even the court decisions this last week, we realize where our, you know, where we're at as a nation. And this church lived in a, in a world that was deeply antagonistic to the gospel, highly sexual, sexually immoral, that just dominated that area as well. So it gives us a great example of how we need to be as a church. But let's read, starting at verse 9 and through 12 here in chapter 4. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, two weeks ago, uh, I preached the passage just prior to this in verses 1 through 8, where Paul exhorts the church to put away sexual immorality. And it's kind of a hard sermon to preach at times, and, and some of you might have been surprised at the strength in which we dealt with it. And, and maybe some of you were even encouraged to, to speak to some of those things and not try to mince words. But, but I need to give you an illustration to begin with that connects to that, uh, the previous passage. Uh, I, I wore a sport coat today up here. Now first, don't get used to it. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't like coats, but uh, let me give you this illustration. If on the back, if I would have had a sign that said sexual, sexual immorality, that sermon two weeks ago would have been kind of like this. Okay, take that off. Get rid of it. Let that go. God wants you to give your love to him. Stay away from that stuff. That's what it had been two, that's what it was 2 weeks ago. Now, understand this, there's a danger and, and something that I've discovered over the years here. Some people like it. When the pastor stands up here and uses the words, don't, stop it. And some people I've discovered that they think that that is actually more biblical and more biblical preaching. Now, so, so this idea of, I could stand up here and kind of shake my finger at you and say, stop that. But here's the tension. It moves people to begin at times to dismiss what we're talking about today, and it's the issue of love. So let me rephrase it. Some people actually think that preaching on love is soft. Some people actually believe that. And it's led to some false thinking and beliefs. And people begin to kind of, when a when pastor preaches on love, it's like, okay, another sermon on love. Oh, yawn, kind of yawn, I can check out. 
Matter of fact, I, I think the issue of love has kind of fallen on deaf ears within the evangelical church. And the trap is this. We become defined as that which we are against. That which we do not do. But hear, hear this. If a church is going to thrive in a, in a culture where, the, where it's antagonistic to the gospel, if we are going to be a church that's a shining light in the community, the issue of the ability to love is of utmost importance. It's just as important as putting off sexual sin. Uh, let me put on the screen a verse earlier that we, two weeks ago that we focused on. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. But look at verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love. Here's this love thing again. And then verse 10, for that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers through Macedonia, but we urge you brothers to do this. What's this? Love. More and more. Folks, verse 10 has as much to do with our sanctification as verse 3. So we, do we understand that the scriptures actually deal more about the issue of love than it does with the issue of sexual immorality? And yes, the tension is that sexual immorality is a bit more sensational in one sense to preach on. And I would agree that sometimes it's actually neglected within, to be addressed within the church. But if one thinks that they're more sanctified because they don't do a sexual sin and they don't fulfill the command to love, I think people are deceiving themselves. And they're trapped just as much as the people who are caught in sexual sin, and maybe more. See, Christians can get trapped into defining righteousness as that which we do not do. And we don't connect sanctification, spiritual maturity, spiritual growth to the ability to love. And when we don't do that, we're trapped. There's a type of legalism we can get trapped in, and we really forget about the law of love. Paul wants this church to love profoundly. To move on, I want to put number six for your notes, if you're taking notes on the screen. For today, there's a couple of main points that Paul is pushing us toward. And number six, a church that thrives in a broken world becomes a family that displays brotherly love. Now, now let me drill down in, in some of the verses here. And I want to put nine and ten back up in the screen here. Now concerning this brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and more and more. Now, now let me show you. Here's where we got to go. We've got to kind of dig a little bit here. Let me put chapter 3, verse 12 on the screen. 
just previous to this. And it says this, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So chapter 3, he's exhorting them and saying, Love, may I hope your love abounds more and more for each other. And then in verse 9, he's urging concerning brotherly love, we urge you to, it's the love there, brothers, to do this more and more. So he kind of, you go, is he just repeating himself? Now in chapter 3, the urge to abound more and more. Chapter 4, keep doing this, this brotherly love. Now here's where we got to get a little more technical. Because there's a nuance here that's very important in the way that he writes here. See, the word for chapter 3, that that word love there in chapter 3, Paul uses the word agape there, the Greek word agape, agape love. Many of you know that word. it's It's a word that describes God's love for us, unconditional, no strings attached, deep, rich, a wide type of understanding of love. But here's the the switch. When he comes to chapter 4, in the ESV, it adds the word brotherly love here. Puts that, that, that nuance to it. So what is he doing here? Well, the word brotherly love comes from a Greek word. It's actually two words together, but in the English language, it, it is the word Philadelphia. Anybody been to the city of Philadelphia at all? I've never been there. The city of brotherly love. Okay, that's Philadelphia. I don't know if it is or not, um, but, but that's what it's called. But at this kind of love, when they use that word in that culture, it was like loving your brothers and sisters. I got a, we got six kids in our family. It was, it's the call to, there's an obligation to love my brothers, to love my sisters. That's that word Philadelphia. But that word is actually two Greek words put together. The first word, I'll put it on the screen, is philos. It means tender affection, fondness, devotion. Okay, that's, that's that word. It's an, that obligation to love like a family. And then the second word there is adelphus. It means one born out of the same womb. Okay, so literally, I'll put this back on the screen, Philadelphia means tender affection owed to those born from the same womb. Now, here's where we need to understand as to why the early church, why Paul adopted and used this word here. And here's why. If you are a child of God, if you are in the family of God, you have been born out of, in, in, a, in a spiritual sense, out of the womb of God by the Holy Spirit. And think of it this way. If you're sitting next to somebody who really, you know, is a child of God, that person is also born out of the same spiritual womb. Do you catch what Paul is doing here? He's emphasizing this idea that we're coming out of the same spiritual womb 
in terms of being rebirthed. Let me show you in one sense where this comes from. John understood this. John chapter 3. I'll put this on the screen. You don't have to turn there, but Jesus, he's talking to Nicodemus here. And he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, it, it literally rebirthed that, you could change it to that word, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and look at this, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. See, when, when this birth took place, a spiritual birth, when God poured his love into our hearts, Romans 5, 5, and, and when we responded and we put our faith and our trust in him, a miracle takes place. A person is reborn again. You become a child of God by the Spirit of God. There's a rebirthing taking place. And listen closely, what does this mean then for us? It means this, is that we are just as much brothers and sisters because of coming out of the spiritual womb as we are somebody who is physically, in the physical sense, like my brothers and sisters come out, came out of my mom's womb. It's the same piece to it there. But I think, here's, well, here's, I think, what we tend to do. We look at our family and go, well, that's more important for me. I'm called to love them more because they're my physical family. And what Paul is saying here is, go, no. Matter of fact, we rate that. And if you were coming here today, you go, no, you gotta, you, we love our spiritual brothers and sisters no less then we love our family. That's the push that Paul is going after these people. It's loving each other like a real family. And it is a real spiritual family. And we recognize this then, that everybody that's saved has been birthed out of God and the Holy Spirit. Now, I do have to go down just a side issue here because of the John 3 passage. Many people want to say that there are multiple paths to God. And you go, no, it's biblically false, it's a lie. And even, matter of fact, when he addresses Nicodemus, listen, unless a man is born of the Spirit, rebirthed by God, birthed by God, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, there are no multiple plans of salvation. And the world wants to claim that. No, we must be born out of God's womb by the Spirit. There is no plan B. But, but listen, once we're rebirthed by the Spirit of God, we then become brothers and sisters and matter of fact, it's not just here on earth. When we enter eternity, we remain 
brothers and sisters in Christ. As part of the family of God. I was reading here in my Bible reading this last week even. It came across the passage where Jesus was asked the question, if, if a man uh, dies and his wife marries his brother and then he dies and marries another brother and so on, he, they asked the question, well, whose wife will he be when he gets to heaven? And Jesus answered this, don't you know that marriage stops once we get into eternity? But to realize this, brotherhood, sisterhood, continues into eternity. Do you catch how important this issue is for us? That we are brothers and sisters because of a new birth. Uh, We're going to start community groups this fall, open groups in the home. But when you think of what does a family in that type of a group, what do we want? What does a family do? Eat together, one of the things. Spend time together, celebrate together, do birthdays together. We need to act and begin to treat each other like real brothers and sisters. You see, this idea of family is so much more than just gathering on a Sunday morning. And we come into the door and we say, hi, how are you? We shake somebody's hand, we greet somebody. But what about family? I suspect some of you are going to be doing family events for the 4th of July. And what do family do? Sometimes you fight. But you play. You have fun. You enjoy each other. You relate to one another as family. And that is the call on our lives because we need to be together and spend time together. Now, the reality is that Paul really is is pushing a motive here. He's inviting us to love, but but it's not just some check-off list where, oh, I said hi to six people today at church. No. Matter of fact, 1 John 4, if we say that we love God, and if we're not willing to spend time with our brothers and sisters... That text might point out that maybe the love of God really isn't in you. But it really is this when you think of what what does it look like? If this coat was love, I understand the call within a body like this is to put on that coat and begin to act like family, to love each other. Matter of fact, let me put Colossians 3, a passage that speaks to putting on something new. Look at how it goes here. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Sicilian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, look at this, clothe, put on yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, Paul is encouraging them 
to be family and love each other. But I got to point out a couple nuances. If you're taking notes, letter A there. It's this. This love is taught by God. Now, that word taught by God is actually, this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. But let me explain maybe a little bit what it work, how it works. Last week, we had a, some missionaries from Russia here. And in the second service, if you're here in the second service, one of the kind of the questions was surrounding learning the language. And they had a couple boys, and, and, and the recognition there that these young boys that were growing up in the Russian culture, do you realize they really didn't have to learn Russian per se like an older person does? It, they just kind of absorb it. They start meeting with, being with kids and going to school, and all of a sudden they just learn the language naturally. They're with their friends, with the people, and they figure out, figure it out. But it's a little bit like that with love. I think what we try to do is we keep wanting to go to a classroom and then talk about the theory of love, assuming that that's going to move us to love. Even me preaching in one sense, preaching like that is in one sense like that. I can exhort you to love, but the question is, will you leave here and love more? Will I love more? See, the, the challenge is we have to put ourselves in relationship with people in order for love really to take place. That, that passage in Colossians there. Clothe yourselves how do you have gentleness if you're never with people? How do you show compassion if you never spend time with people? See, we have to be in a place where we're actually learning to love. And the other thing I think how God chooses to teach us is actually people loving us. And we know it. And it inspires us. It, it, it resonates with the spirit within us. And, and we go, oh man, they care for me. That's what I need to do. See, God wants us at times to step out of the classroom of theory and and get involved in people's lives to actually be in a setting where we need and grow in love. God's nature is love. And he wants to instill that into us as his children that we would do it automatically and we begin to express it in natural ways. But there's another phrase. I've got to go farther here. In verse 10, look at the verse 10. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And for your notes, to apply it this way, real brotherly love builds a reputation. People begin to see it. And it goes beyond the church to out there somewhere. And I think we can assume this, the way he writes this, is that this church loved people beyond the walls of a church. It spread through all that area, through Macedonia. I think they loved hospitality is the love of strangers. This church loved people beyond the walls of a church. And a reputation grew. And lives were changed as a result of this. 
But it's so easy for us. We come to a church and we say hi to somebody, and, but do we ever invite them into our lives to have the opportunity to love them, to influence people spiritually? Do we invite people from work, from outside the context of even church? Do we invite them into our lives so that we might have the opportunity at some day to share the gospel? So that they might know Christ, so we can present them complete in Christ. And do you realize, though, that this issue of loving and loving beyond the walls of the church This was the most important attraction when people were hostile to Jesus. Do you realize, thinking back, that they had no church buildings, no outreach programs, no large budgets, no camps, no Christian radio, no Christian texting, no group of people writing worship music that we can sing on a Sunday morning? They had none of that. In fact, I would say they had none of what we consider essential for a successful church. And yet, it didn't stop them from influencing their world. Do you realize it grew from a couple hundred people at the time of the resurrection and about 300 years later, there was over 20 million, they estimate over 20 million Christians in that area. And it impacted the morality of the area. As the church grew, it naturally fought against what was going on in the culture of the day. Not in a political way, but through loving people. Let me keep going here because there's another point we need to go toward today as well. Paul's not done encouraging them. He's inviting them to love, but he's also inviting them to live differently. And for your notes, number seven, I said it this way. We live our lives in such a way that earn respect from people. We earn respect. We live in front of people, and people look at us and actually respect us. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. And aspire to live quietly. And to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we have instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, now, this is ESV is a pretty literal Bible. Let me give you a paraphrase from Eugene Peterson. I like the way he, he says it here. A little more color to it. Look at this. Stay calm. Mind your own business. Do your own job. You've heard all this from us before, but a reminder never hurts. We want you living in a way that will command the respect of outsiders, not lying around sponging off your friends. Catch that. Paul had already taught this before. This letter is reminding them again. So the message was, stay calm. Why? Well, well, a reminder, they were expecting Jesus to come back at any time. And we'll see this as we go farther in the book. There was an expectancy. Jesus come any day. And you know what the temptation is for people here? If we knew that Jesus was coming back 
in two weeks or a month or even six months. Let's sell everything, move up on top of a mountain, get away and just wait. Get away from people. And Paul is going, no, that's not the way to do it. Stay calm. Keep living your lives in front of people. Don't sell everything. Live your lives in such a way that they see that God is in control. And the, but the temptation for us, you know what? Let's just pull away from this world that's going down the tubes. Let's just move away into the woods, isolate ourselves from people. Then I don't have to deal with it. And Paul would look at that idea and go, no. Live among people so that they see how you live. Folks, God wants us to be visible to the people that are around and in our lives. He wants us to be the best workers where we work so people will respect our hard work so that they can't malign us and say, oh, they're a terrible worker. Work matters. You get up tomorrow, you go to work, but it's a platform to be visible in front of people. Now, i, I got to point out one thing. Notice the, the phrase, be dependent on no one. There's a, some financial gurus out there that kind of apply this to money. Don't be indebted to anybody from a monetary standpoint. It's really not the context here. Okay, that really isn't the, the correct meaning. Peterson really gets it right when he says, stop sponging off of people. Stop using people to your benefit. Don't be lazy. Your attitudes matter. See, people notice it. How we respect our bosses. What kind of workers we're at and the job. You know, if you're doing shift work, you get, to, you get off at 3.30 and 2.30. Oh, I don't want to start that project. You know what I'll do? I'll just let the guy next shift handle it. And you go, no. You work hard all the way up to 3.30. And it earns respect of people. One of the challenges, I think, in the area of work and being a witness in this world is that we don't see our work as worship. And it is a way to worship God. Because what we do on Monday as work is, is just as sacred in the eyes of God as what we do on a Sunday. God doesn't differentiate and go, Sunday, you're, you're really special. Monday, you can do what you want. No. Monday is supposed to be consistent of our time and worship on Sunday. Martin Luther wrote this, a dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. And that's so true. So do we want to impact the world? These short four verses, it starts with us loving each other and realizing that we are born from the Holy Spirit and that we are brothers and sisters as much as our physical families. And there's a call to love each other profoundly. And when the world sees that kind of love within a body... It's attractive. And they want to be a part of it. 
This world has lots of families that are broken. And what greater model than to do it within a body of believers? But it's also going to work tomorrow and saying, okay, God, I'm going to earn the respect of people at my work so that they see within me character. They see me the one, see, see me one as not maligning my boss. Or maybe you're a boss that needs to be gracious and people enjoy being having you as, your bo- as a boss and you're earning respect and the ability to speak into their life when God opens the door. Why don't you stand and let's pray. Father, these two points are at times challenging. And when we live in such a fast-paced world that it's so hard to take time for our spiritual family. So Lord, would you grant us wisdom? Would you grant us um, the ability to look around and say, and to prioritize the church's family? To invite people in their lives where we might influence them? But Lord, we're also called to live in this world. We're supposed to go to work tomorrow and we're supposed to influence and earn respect so that we have a right to speak and people accept what we say. Lord, our lives need to match up with the words that we speak. So Lord, will you give us that ability? Would you make us influencers, becoming a people who love and becoming a people who represent you well in this world? So thank you for this text, for the words that were written that apply so strongly to us today. And we thank you again. Thank you for your love. These things we pray in your name. Amen. Have a great week. If you don't know somebody around you, uh, say hi to them. Introduce yourself. Um, Tomorrow when you go to work, live for the glory of God.